Welcome back to the Community Christian Church Podcast. This week, we're joined by lead pastor Dave Ferguson for week one in our series, Know Thyself. Community is one church in four expressions, meeting online, in person, and in small groups around the globe. Learn more and plan your visit at communitychristian.org. Hello, community. It is great to be with you and the growing number of people who are joining us through communityonline.tv. I think all of us feel the pressure to perform. All of us feel that pressure to perform. But few feel the pressure to perform like a professional athlete. Because for them, the pressure to perform, it's like magnified by millions and millions of eyes watching them perform you know, in person or on TV or online. And everyone is just waiting to see, will they win or will they lose? Will they succeed or will they fail? Will, will they come through or will they choke? And particularly think about events. I mean, big events like the Super Bowl or the World Cup or the Olympics. I mean, the whole world is watching. In fact, this past Winter Olympics, there was one athlete who definitely felt the pressure of millions and millions of eyes watching. And it was skier Michaela Schifrin. Now, if you don't know her, Schifrin is the most accomplished American alpine skier of all time. Back in 2014, at age 18, she was the youngest Olympic slalom champion ever. She's also the first and only athlete, male or female, to win in all six Alpine Ski World Cup disciplines. Just to put it simply, she's the best ever in her sport. And going into last year's Winter Olympics, her third Olympic Games, everybody, the whole world, expected her to win. But then this happened. Michaela fell. And the pressure grew. And she fell again. The pressure grew even more. And she fell a third time. In the last four years, Michaela had only fallen three times. And in one week at the Olympics, she matched that. I mean, the, the world was shocked. The fans were shocked. But mostly, Michaela was shocked. In a daze, during a post-race interview, she told the watching world, that's disappointing for me. It's disappointing for my whole team, for the coaches, for everybody. And right now, I just feel like a joke. While most of us will never experience the pressure to perform at an Olympic level like Michaela, I do think most of us can relate to her feeling You know, right now, I just feel like a joke. Have you ever had one of those moments where you felt like, man, I I just didn't measure up? You you just don't know, but there's something, I should have done it better. You didn't win. You, You didn't succeed. I mean, you did not come through. It's interesting, it seems like almost from the moment we're born, there's this pressure to perform. I mean, somebody has a baby, and after you find out the gender, what do you want to know next? The height, the weight. And someone will say, oh, wow, 85th percentile with pride. Or when a child's getting ready for preschool, we kind of freak out if they're not reading at a level where they can breeze through Homer's Odyssey. And then when you get to high school, it's all about GPA. And then it becomes about ACT or or SAT. And then it comes, becomes all about what colleges will or will not accept you. And then a little later in life, it becomes about marital status, your career choice, your income level, the title you have on your business card. 
And then about midway through your career, it becomes about how much you have in your 401k and are you set for retirement? And it seems like a whole lifetime over and over and over again, it all comes down to this, perform, perform, perform. And we feel good about ourselves when we perform and we feel like a joke when we don't. Now, here's a little thing, truth about me. I like getting things done. I love seeing results. I like being successful, performing. All, all that can be very good. But here's the question I want us all to wrestle with, starting with me. Why do we feel good about ourselves when we perform and bad about ourselves when we don't? Why? Why do we feel good about ourselves when we perform and bad about ourselves when we don't? Go a little deeper. Why is our performance so connected to how we feel about ourselves, to, to our very identity. Why? It's because somewhere along the way, too many of us have bought into the performance lie. The performance lie says, I am what I do. We search for our identity and what we accomplish by being productive in performing. And let's face it, that performance lie it will wear you out. Physically, it'll wear you out. Emotionally, it'll wear you out. Relationally, it'll wear you out. Spiritually, it will wear you out. And here's why. Because you can always do better. You can always be smarter. You can always go faster. You can always look younger. You can always be more talented. You can always be more successful. You cannot outperform the performance lie. And when we don't, we, we feel like a joke. And that's why we're starting this important brand new series called Know Thyself. Now, during this series, we're gonna boldly claim the core truths about ourselves. And we wanna make sure not one of us, not one of us buys into some of the prevailing cultural lies. Pete Cesaro, author of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, he, he says this, the vast majority of us go to our graves without knowing who we are, like who we really are, identity. He goes on and says, we unconsciously live someone else's life or at least someone else's expectations for us. And this does violence to us, our relationship with God, and ultimately to others. Now, during this series, we're gonna do a deep dive into the story of Jesus' temptations in the wilderness. And it, and it outlines three lies that Satan tried to tell Jesus and that he and the culture try to tell us. So today, we're gonna to explore the first lie, and it's the performance lie. And the performance lie says, I am what I do. It's a lie that says my identity, my, my, my value is found in my success and my performance. Uh, Luke, who is a doctor and writer of the third book of the New Testament, he sets up the story this way, saying Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And at the end of them, he was hungry. All right, let me make um, several quick observations about this opening text. Well, well, first of all, this journey into the wilderness and in this encounter with the evil one takes place at the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry on earth. Jesus is about 30 years old, and up until now, he has lived in relatively kind of obscure life. He 
hasn't made a name for himself. No one would point to him as successful. I mean, I mean, he's really done nothing of significance. I mean, is that okay for me to say that about Jesus? <laughs> well, here, here's a second observation. He's in the wilderness now for 40 days. 40 days. He's preparing to carry out his mission. And God's spirit leads him into the wilderness where he battles the devil for 40 days. I want you to imagine what that would be like, battling with pure evil for a whole month and then 10 more consecutive days in the wilderness. That's where he is. Third observation. I think it's also important to remember that this 30-year-old who hasn't accomplished much with this huge mission ahead of him is a person like you, like me. Now, I say that because sometimes I find it easier to think of Jesus as more divine than as human. And I can tend to see him as some sort of superhuman, like he's one of the Avengers. But that is a dangerous assumption, first, because it's not true. But second, if we see him like that, we might think he doesn't really understand what we're going through. But check out again what Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says. It says this, for we do not have a high priest, and that's referring to Jesus, this go-between between us and God who's unable to empathize with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So Jesus faced the same pressures, the same challenges, the same temptations, just like you do, just like I do. And he was vulnerable to the performance lie, just like we are. Here's my last observation. If you're in the wilderness for 40 days with no food, How do you think you'd be feeling? It's not a trick question. How do you think you'd be feeling? (laughs) Hungry, right? Hungry, yes. If we go back to our story, we see that's exactly how Jesus felt. He was hungry now and physically weak. So it's in this weakened state that the evil one comes after Jesus with the performance lie. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. The devil challenges him to perform a miracle. And don't think for a minute that this challenge was only about bread. No, no, the devil, he's taunting him. Come on, come on, Jesus. It's time for you to do something spectacular. The devil's going after something even more serious than feeding his body. He's going after Jesus' identity. I mean, try to go ahead and step into it and put yourself in Jesus' shoes for a minute. Satan's saying to him, you say God sent you, but you haven't done anything of notable significance. And you're getting ready to enter into your fourth decade of life. You haven't healed anyone. You haven't said anything particularly remarkable. You don't have anybody following you. You're supposed to be on a mission to save the world, but here you are, weak and all alone in the desert. And the evil one is challenging to prove that he's somebody by doing something significant, perform. And I I, I don't want you to skip over this. Did you notice that Satan says, if you are the son of God? Did you catch that? That's what the evil one says. If you are really somebody, then prove it, perform. And isn't that what the performance lies all about? Challenging us to prove through our own effort, our worth, taunting us with questions like, Dave, what have you really accomplished? Dave, why should anybody listen to you? 
How have you demonstrated your value, your worth, your significance? And I can tell you, personally, this goes deep for me. Um, Sometime back, a while back, I spent two days with a life coach. And he did for me what they call a life plan. And basically, they take a look at your gifts, your God-given gifts, kind of your passions, and a lot of your life experiences. And they try to help you figure out where you should invest your time and your resources to make the biggest difference in the future. And it was a fascinating experience. And at the end of it, it really reinforced that, that what I'm doing now is exactly what I should be doing to make the biggest difference. But during this two days, he had me share some of the most impactful moments from my childhood, stories that kind of stood out, memories. And one story I told him from uh, my first was from my first track meet ever. Uh, I think I was in like sixth grade. I'm running the 800-meter race, which is two times around the track, right? The gun sounded. We all take off. And because I'd never been in a race like that before, to my surprise, after the first lap, I was winning the race. Kept running. We got about halfway around the second lap, the final lap. I'm still leading. But I could feel another runner coming up behind me. And then I could see him over my shoulder right next to me. My first immediate thought was, oh, crap, he's going to pass me. But then I had a second thought. What if I just try harder than him? (laughs) I mean, that simple thought popped into my little mind in that last part of the race. What if I just try harder than him? And so I did. I made up my mind. I was going to try harder. And I ended up winning the race. I told my life coach the story, and he said, uh, Dave, that's not just a memory from your childhood. I think that's a metaphor for your life. I think he's right. Uh, Because there have been times when that voice whispers to me, the adult Dave, what if I just try harder? And to be honest, at times it has served me well. But there are other times that it whispers, what if I just try harder? And it causes me to think, I'm only valuable if I win. My worth is based entirely on my success. And you know what that is now. I mean, that's the performance lie. The performance lie. I love what theologian N.T. Wright says about this. Every Christian will be tested at the point's which matter most in his or her life and vocation. It is a central part of Christian vocation to learn to recognize the voices that whisper attractive lies, to distinguish them from the voice of God, and to use the simple but direct weapons provided in Scripture to rebut the lies with truth. I am what I do. That's the performance lie. And when we buy into that lie, we end up pushing ourselves to extraordinary lengths to be successful, whatever it takes to perform, and then beating ourselves up for not being able to do it. And then we do it over and over and over again. And I'm telling you, it can be tremendously destructive in every way. But Jesus is our great example because he heard the whispers of the evil one and he didn't believe the lie. He heard the devil's whisper, and he said, Man shall not live on bread alone. 
This is Jesus' way of saying, who I am is not based on me doing something miraculous, something spectacular. It's not based on my performance. What was it that empowered Jesus to respond that way, to resist the performance lie? Well, if we back up a chapter, back to Luke chapter three, we find the answer. Right before the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness, he's baptized by John the Baptist. Some of you remember this. As Jesus comes up out of the water from being baptized, the voice of God the Father echoes from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. You're my son, the Father was saying to Jesus. That's who you are. I love you. That's how I feel about you. That's what determines your worth. That's what makes you valuable. That is your core identity. And again, just remember this. Jesus hasn't said anything not to, the, to, to this point that's quotable. He's yet to perform a single miracle. Jesus has not died on the cross to save all of humanity, not yet. He's done nothing of real significance, but the love and affirmation of God the Father comes and it's not based on his performance. It comes before anything he does and it serves as the foundation of his identity. So when Jesus finds himself in the wilderness being tempted by the lie, you are what you do. He's able to resist that lie because he's secure in his identity as the father's beloved child. Or to put it another way, the performance lie did not threaten Jesus' identity. You know why? Because he already knew who he was. He was a beloved child on whom his father was well-pleased. At least uh, at least once a month, I, I make it a point to have dinner with my parents. Um, if you don't know my mom and dad, I mean, they're really an amazing couple. Two of the most remarkable people. They've been married 60 years. Uh, they love Jesus. They love each other. But together, they've helped me combat the performance lie. Now, like I said, I'm the kind of person who would be very susceptible to the performance lie. I like to win. I like to succeed. I love results. But once a month when I get together with my parents, I can always count on my mom. And, and she's, she's little, but she'll wrap her arms around me and she'll say, do you have any idea how much I love you? And I can always count on my dad to kind of look me in the eye and he'll say, do you know how proud your mom and I are of you? And they've been doing that from the day I was born to this very day, consistently. They've told me they love me and they've told me they're pleased with me. So guess what? When I first heard God say to me what he said to Jesus, you're my son whom I love with you, I'm well pleased. It wasn't as much of a struggle for me to believe that. I believed it because it was consistent with the same thing my own mom and dad had been telling me. And for some of you who never got that from your mom and dad or anybody else, here's the amazing, crazy, absolute truth. God is saying that to you right now, right where you are today. He is saying, I love you and I am well pleased with you. 
He doesn't want your identity to be rooted in what you do. He wants your identity to be rooted in the fact that you are his beloved child, a child in whom he's well-pleased. You see, when we think about identity, identity is really a combination of factors that, that make up who we are. Again, for example, I'm, I'm a son, I, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a pastor, I'm an author. Th- those are a few of the I- identity markers, and all these things make up a part of my identity. But the important question that I really want each of us, me and you, to wrestle with is this, what is my core identity? My core identity. In other words, when I look deep and down inside, who am I at the very core? Where do I find my sense of self, my sense of worth? See, if my core identity is if I'm a parent, that can cause me to put tremendous amount of pressure on my kids to be spectacular and awesome because I'm living vicariously through them. If at the core of my identity, my core identity is I'm a pastor, then I will tend to put a disproportionate amount of pressure on this church to be, you know, whatever it means, successful. If my core identity is as an author, I mean, what happens if a book I write doesn't sell very well? But look at what the Bible tells us about our core identity. It says this, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. What John is saying here, this is so, so important, is that all of us who believe in Jesus and follow him, we are now children of God. And he goes on to say, that's not dependent on you being a great spouse or a great parent. That's not dependent on you being a success vocationally. It's not based on your own personal performance. This is something that comes only from God. And here's what this means. It means that our core identity is received. It's not achieved. Let me say that again. Let it sink in. Our core identity is received. It's not achieved. So when you hear that whisper that says, what have you really accomplished? Why should anybody listen to you? You're really a joke. Recognize the lie. You are not what you do. You're a beloved child of God in whom he's well-pleased. One of the people that really challenged the performance line in my life was a guy by the name of Brennan Manning. Uh, Brennan was a nationally known speaker and author who, who died just a few years ago. He was a former priest and also a recovering alcoholic. Um, I read his books. I heard him speak at conferences. And several years ago, he came to community to speak. And he helped me experience God's grace and understand that m- what my core identity was. And it helped me understand it in a whole new way. It was about 15 years ago that someone captured him talking about God's love. Now, the video is of such poor quality, we couldn't show it. But I think his words are still so valuable and I find so powerful. We wanted to share it with you anyway. So I want you to just kind of settle in for a few minutes here, take in every word, because through him, I believe God is speaking to you. In the 48 years since I was first ambushed by Jesus in a little chapel in the Allegheny Mountains of Western Pennsylvania, 
And then literally the thousands of hours of prayer, meditation, silence and solitude over those years, I am now utterly convinced that on Judgment Day, the Lord Jesus is gonna ask each of us one question and only one question. Did you believe that I loved you? That I desired you? That I waited for you day after day? That I longed to hear the sound of your voice? The real believers there will answer, yes, Jesus. I believe in your love and I tried to shape my life as a response to it. But many of us who are so faithful in our ministry, in our practice, in our church going, are gonna have to reply, <clears throat> well, frankly, no, sir. I mean, I never really believed it. I mean, I heard a wonderful, a lot of wonderful sermons and teachings about it. In fact, I gave quite a few myself. But I always thought that was just a way of speaking, a kindly lie, some Christian's pious pat on the back to cheer me on. And there's the difference between the real believers and the nominal Christians that abound in our churches across the land. No one can measure like a believer the depth and the intensity of God's love, but at the same time, no one can measure like a believer the effectiveness of our gloom, pessimism, low self-esteem, self-hatred, and despair that block God's way to us. Do you see why it is so important to lay hold of this basic truth of our faith? Because you're only gonna be as big as your own concept of God. Remember the famous line of the French philosopher, Blaise Pascal? God made man in his own image, and man returned the compliment. We often make God in our own image, he wants us to be as fussy, rude, narrow-minded, legalistic, judgmental, unforgiving, unloving as we are. In the past couple of three years, I have preached the gospel to the financial community in Wall Street, New York City, the airmen and women of the Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs, a thousand physicians in Nairobi. I've been in churches in Bangor, Maine, Miami, Chicago, St. Louis, Seattle, San Diego, and honest, the God of so many Christians I meet is a God who is too small for me because he is not the God of the Word. He is not the God revealed by and in Jesus Christ who this moment comes right to your seat and says, I have a word for you. I know your whole life story. I know every skeleton in your closet. I know every moment of sin, shame, dishonesty, and degraded love that has darkened your past. Right now, I know your shallow faith, your feeble prayer life, your inconsistent discipleship, and my word is this, I dare you to trust that I love you just as you are and not as you should be, because you're never going to be as you should be. I dare you to trust that I love you just as you are and not as you should be. I mean, let that resonate deep in your souls right now. The performance lie says, you're not welcome until you prove yourself. But today, God wants to free us from that lie. God loves you just as you are, not as you should be. You are his child. And the next time you feel like a joke, the next time you're tempted to measure yourself by your performance, hear the voice of God saying, 
you are my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. That, that, that is who you are. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Our mission is to help you find your way back to God. And by listening today, you've already taken your first step. And we'd love to help you take a next step in your relationship with God, the church, and the world. It's how we're all embracing the flourishing life that Jesus talks about, a life we call U+. Visit communitychristian.org to take a next step, learn more, give generously, and plan your visit. We hope to see you on a Sunday soon.